All right, welcome to the RSP cast. We're going to get right to it because we got an hour with Dwayne McFarlane and we're going to try and get the most of it because we could call this instead of between two ferns, two between two fire hoses in terms of the way that we go. So we're going to get started. And the first thing I want to talk about with Dwayne, and obviously we love having him on the show, is that it is kind of talk about these building blocks and what you're doing now in terms of taking it to the next level in addition to projections. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've always had this pod, you know, for several years, not always, I guess, but for the last three or four years. And a lot of times we've really talked about projections and obviously projections are still, you know, a huge part of my process. But now that I'm full time, you know, with PFF, I was able to actually just really this off season focus in on really the building blocks, right, to projections and really being able to illustrate those um, to folks that want to see it. So actually, if you go over to PFF, you look at any of my work, if you look at my tiers and my rankings, I actually provide you guys with all of this information. But to your point, Matt, like talent is always a key component, right? So we've talked about talent in the past. Like I come to you for talent. Like you're the guy that watches the film. I look at the data. You know, I'm often trusting someone like you or Jay Moyer, like when it comes to what you're really seeing on film, is it matching up with the data? But the talent profile is still the hugest part. Obviously, if you're playing Dynasty, it's like 80%, right, of what you want. If you're playing in a redraft league, though, you got to you gotta start to figure out, okay, like talent is still the most important thing because it means you always have outs. But what's the context of that talent? What team are they playing on? How good is the team? What's their competition look like? You know, so some things that I've really pulled in this year um, to, to kind of put a number to those things for folks. Um, so, for example, I'm even using things like ADP. So how many other running backs does the market think? You know, for example, if you look at the Denver Broncos, they have two running backs going in the top 48. It's Javonta Williams, right? It's Melvin Gordon. Whereas you've got a lot of other guys that are going where there's not another running back going in the top 48. And then obviously I use utilization and things like that to dig deeper into that number. But it's really holistically, those are the building blocks. You've got to have talent. We would prefer you be on a good offense. A lot of times that ties back to a good quarterback, but you can look at you know what the Vegas projected wins, those sorts of things are. And then what's the competition for touches in your offense, right? Whether it's running back, receiver, tight end, um, I factor all those things together. And then I try to create tiers that basically put the players into similar buckets. Um, and then I lastly weight it you know, with ADP because I, I just don't want my list to mislead someone and make them take someone too early. But overall, what you'll see it start to break down. You're like, oh, look, here's some players that are really talented, but wow, they might be challenged for opportunity. Here's some players that are going to have opportunity, but wow, is it going to stick? Their talent doesn't look really good. And the, the thing I'm trying to do is give you a chance to identify like which players don't fit in this group, right? Or which players should maybe be going earlier in my drafts and then using that to help calibrate and start to find where the value pockets are this season based on ADP so you can just build these optimal rosters. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about some player, key players for redraft leagues at this point. But if you're interested in some projections and rankings with short build and long build for Dynasty, you can go to MountWaldmanRSP.com or MountWaldman.com and order the rookie scouting portfolio, two-year Dynasty rankings and projections. Um, I update these multiple times during the year, twice in August, once already happened. Next time will be around the 17th. Um, you get, like I said, a long build and a win now version of a tiered cheat sheet. Um, and I base a lot of it on my projections, but obviously I re-rank players in a similar way that Dwayne's talking about in terms of looking at talent, opportunity, fit, um, you know, upside based on where their ADP is, you know, because obviously we're going to, we want more upside in the later rounds than we do in the earlier rounds, um, things like that in terms of we're looking for, you know, at profiles and I kind of give, you know, high ceiling, low floor, fit different types of things in terms of their scheme fit, whether they're matchup plays or whether they're um, scheme-based type of plays. And you can get that at 20, for $24.95 at mattwaldman.com as well as the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, pre-draft, post-draft, which is available for $21.95. And of course, you know, that's uh, if you're going to look for talent at, at the rookie positions, um, you know, it's the most comprehensive look that you're going to find out there. So, uh, you know, let's get this started and talk about a quarterback this year. Justin Fields, to me, is probably one of the more intriguing guys because when I look at him you know he had an awful season last year but it's kind of uh, as I've joked it's like you know Matt Nagy basically took his Justin Fields game put it in a bag filled it with cement um, and then threw it into the Chicago River um, and so this year yes everyone says that they don't have very good wide receivers they lost Allen Robinson 
Darnell Mooney is certainly an up-and-comer, but when you say Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet are your leftover two guys, it doesn't really inspire on the level of, say, you know, what Russell Wilson or Tom Brady or even Jalen Hurts has, um, you know, at a certain level. So, you know, are we... Are we looking at Justin Fields right now and saying there's some upside to his game and he's a good player to draft? Or are we looking at him and saying you might want to you might not want to get too too excited about him? Yeah, so a couple things with Fields. Number one, the ADP is great. Like he often doesn't go to like round 15, you know, in your fantasy drafts. Um, so, uh, you know, he may not even be a player that you have to pick depending on what you've already done at quarterback and depending on how big your league is. But I mean, the cost is really real, really low. Number one. Number two. We know that he carries a lot of upside, you know, as far as, you know, a rusher. I mean, he had 420 yards last year in 12 games, and he didn't even start, you know, half those games. Like, when you look at him in his last four healthy starts of 2021, he finishes the QB3, the QB9, the QB8, and the QB10. I think my big question, you know, uh, for Fields, Matt, well, there's a couple of things. A couple of things that really got him into trouble last year, holding on the ball a really long time. Um, and his sack rate is well above like the NFL average. Now his offensive line didn't necessarily help him, but he's not shown so far to be a quarterback because a lot of the really the best quarterbacks actually do hold on to the ball longer than what people think. I mean, everybody thinks of Brady and some of these guys that get it out quick, but Aaron Rodgers is a great example, right? He's a guy that will hold on to the ball to let things develop, but he also doesn't take a lot of sacks compared to other people that hold on the ball as long. So with Fields, that was problematic last year. That led to drive stalls. That led to third downs and long. That led to a lot of problems. So my my thought process with Fields really ties back to both of those things, like the rushing ability and then how they're going to try to craft this offense around him. You know, luckily, he does not have Matt Nagy anymore. So we don't know for sure what's going to happen with Luke Getze, but we know that Luke Getze really comes from that Packers tree uh, with LaFleur. Um, really, you know, which also comes from under the McVeigh tree. There's hints of the Shanahan style also, you know, mixed in with all of this. But what that means is I would expect, you know, to see them want to run the ball more. I think Justin Fields would be part of that. I think you'll see more play action. I think you should see more boots, a lot of different things that you can do with this offense based off of the way you're making everything basically look like, is it going to be a run or a pass, right? And really trying to use the element of surprise versus trying to drop back, line up in five wides, do a lot of the weird things that we saw Nagy do. Um, and I think the, the biggest factor, again, ties back to the legs, Matt. Um, 20 to 25%, you know, is what I think could be in the wheelhouse, right, of the team's design rushing attempts that we could see Fields take over. Nagy did not use that at all last year. Um, you know, if you look at the games where he was even healthy, like he did not get anywhere near those numbers. So if you look at Jalen Hurts, 20 to 25%. He was at 24% of, you know, the uh, Eagles dropbacks last year in games where he played, you know, at least 10% of the snaps. If you look at Lamar Jackson, he was at 25%. And I think you could look at Justin Fields and you could put him more on that spectrum. Does he have to be at that high, high end? You know, I, I don't know. And, and that's where I would like your thoughts on like really, you know, uh, what your thoughts are on Fields as a rusher um, and his ability on the ground. Because I think that's ultimately what unlocks things. Because look, if you can get to 700, 750 rushing yards historically, like over the last 10 years, you're just going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback. There's just no way around it. You know, I, I talked about this last year on Jalen Hurts because a lot of people will just kind of hemming and hawing. And I got it. Like, look, Hurts didn't look great the year before. But my point was, like, look, if he gets the 750 or 800 rushing yards, it's not going to matter. Just because, I mean, think about it, folks. That's 80 points, you know, if you're playing in a league that counts, you know, uh, every 10 yards is one point, you know, for rushing. That's 80 points immediately, right off the top, just for rushing. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you score six touchdowns doing that, that's another 36. You're getting like 115 points out of the gate before even throwing a pass. And so I think that's really where Fields could outperform his ADP this year. Um, obviously, to your point, concerns about the weapons, but I think his legs insulate him from some of that. Yeah, and I'm not so concerned about the weapons, to be honest with you, because I am um, a fan of Byron Pringle. I think that he's someone that can be helpful to this team. He may not be a huge fantasy threat um, for people this year, Byron Pringle, but I think the combination of what Montgomery, Herbert, Pringle, Mooney can bring, and they and Komet, you can really, I think they can stitch together um, players that in the type of situations that the Bears are going to be in, which I think is either going to be close games or or game script games like the Detroit Lions, very much like the Detroit Lions in that respect, um, 
you're going to see Fields have plenty of opportunities to score points. He may not be able to score timely points to keep the team in games at key moments um, because of the quality of weapons that they have. But I think they'll be good enough to execute in moments where you get garbage time yardage. As a rusher, I have about 86 um, attempts for 527 yards and three touchdowns. It's a little more modest than that 750 mark that you want to get to. And certainly the opportunity for him to score more touchdowns is there. But I've always seen him as a little bit more of a throw first, run second quarterback who just happens to have great legs to run. Um, But he's kind of a, I saw him as more of a Josh, um, Allen type of prospect early on where Allen did get a lot of rushes, but it was in a system where I think it was a little more geared towards not designing runs for him, but it was more like, we're going to let you run in these scenarios and make it look like a pass. Whereas I think with fields, they're going to try and design some runs. And I don't know if the bears have the horses up front to really make that go as well as you would like to see. Um, but I, I think overall there's upside for him to definitely outplay his ADP and be a top 10 quarterback this year. Um, but I think that he's more of that second quarterback you're looking for um, in drafts right now. And he's more of a guy that you're going to be excited about dynasty-wise than you are redraft. So so moving on, um, another player that really kind of that, that kind of interests me is you know Travis Etienne. Um, you know, the, for me last year, you know, I'm, it, this is one of those situations where I was, I, I would, I would classify my take on Deandre Swift as right based on talent, wrong based on situation. And in fantasy, you, you know, overall, you know, it was wrong based on fantasy because from a, from a, from a talent perspective, he's not a very good inside runner. He's a decent pass catcher, but is he one that you would say is on Austin Eckler's level as a route runner? No, probably not. Is he someone that you would say Jamal Williams shouldn't even be on the field Um, in his class? I would say absolutely not. But when you look at the Lions, they had no wide receivers in terms of um, in terms of quality and health in a com in that combination, when Quintez Cephas started to play reasonably well, he got hurt and missed the year. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown came on, but then they had to get Josh Reynolds off of, um, you know, during with the post Achilles injury that he was dealing with a, an Achilles strain that basically got him off to a slow start in Tennessee. And he wound up being a retread in, with the lions there and other, and then Hawkinson was kind of banged up and a little bit, you know, he was a, he was all right, but they really didn't have anybody to stretch the field. And, you know, Amon Ra St. Brown isn't a field stretcher in the classical sense. So when you look at that team, they played a lot of close games, but the game scripts were perfect for DeAndre Swift to catch check down after check down after check down. And you did a great job of really profiling that that was going to be the likely outcome for Swift preseason. And it worked out that way very well. Well, Travis Etienne certainly looks like he's in that scenario. But the difference for me that I want to ask you about is, do you think the the qual- the caliber of wide receiver play could be enough of a difference where Etienne is more of a middle class or poor man's DeAndre Swift in fantasy production as opposed to one for one, we need to we need to rank him up there with Swift in terms of his potential value. In terms of maybe not his potential value, because I think the potential value we'd agree that could happen. But in terms of like maybe what your your midline expectation for him would be, um, are you as high on Etienne as you were with Swift? Um, and and then I guess the second part is yeah, do you see the differences in the in the Jaguars' offenses where there it's possible that maybe we're maybe that there's a little bit more of a trap door with that TM. Yeah. So uh, I, yeah. And I think those are all the, the good questions and some of it, we just don't know for sure. My, my thought process on the Jaguars receivers are they're fine. I don't, there's not an alpha on the team. Um, so they're going to spread it around right across all those guys. Yeah. They signed Christian Kirk to a big deal, but that's TBD. Like can, can Kirk really carry like a 25, 26, 27% target share? Like he definitely hasn't shown any, he doesn't profile as that so far with what we've seen in his career. Anyone, you know, he could, he's done enough that it wouldn't shock me, right? If he took right. that step forward, I just wouldn't expect it from him. 
you know, Evan Ingram's been on a decline basically since his rookie year, right? Um, and has also been struggling in camp. Marvin Jones, I know, is a player that we both like, but he's old. I mean, he's 34 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I worry about injuries there. Um, you know, so it's when I look across it, I think, you know, and you look at Zay Jones, they also added him. You got LaVisca Chenault still on the roster, you know, a player that, you know, they've talked about moving around. I, I see a, a bunch of guys. I don't see anyone that you're going to center your game plan around. And I don't think they're going to center the passing game around Travis Etienne, but I think it's going to be spread out enough because I don't see any of those other guys stepping up. Because if you ever have a guy step up and demand 30% and then the rest is spread around everyone, like that's problematic for how many targets you're going to get. But if your top guys at 20%, 19%, which is where I probably see this offense, then I think there's room, right? And I think there's also room because we know that, you know, Trevor Lawrence last year was the number one check down quarterback in the league. Um, we also know that it's just easier to create space schematically, you know, for a back, right? Because the linebacker can't be right on them. You get to use them out of the backfield. Um, if you're playing against zone, that automatically helps you, you know, depending on the type of zone that you're, you're playing against. And I think the biggest thing for me is just that, you know, the Jaguars are only projected to win six and a half games. So that just means they're going to need to throw the ball a lot. That means we're going to see a lot of two minute offense. And that was really the, to your point, that was the booster last year. For, for DeAndre Swift, because what happens in those scenarios, what do defenses start doing when you're when you're trailing, you know, the other team and they know they're up by 14? Well, they just start playing off coverage. <laughs> and what does it do? It invites the quarterback to be like, well, crap, uh, you know, Christian Kirk's running in a double coverage again down the seam. I'm just going to dump it down to ETN. So I think that's where ETN you know, is going to really pop, you know, this year. I, I, my biggest concern with ETN, like he was a really good receiver, like from a PFF receiving grade in college, but mostly because of his explosive plays, not necessarily because to your point, he was this great route runner downfield. In fact, like his dot was right at the line of scrimmage. Most of these really good backs that we see in the receiving game, they get more involved downfield. Now we've heard a lot of reports of it. You've seen the videos in camp where they're trying to do this more with ETN. I think the question is like, well, can he take his neck? Can he take that next step? But for me, it's pretty straightforward. I'm just looking at a player that's got the high first round capital. They're going to trail a lot. I expect him 100% to be the guy that's out there on passing downs. And that's just going to equal, equal a lot of opportunities, especially in PPR. I think you should be a little more timid on ETN if you're playing in a standard league. But if you're playing in PPR or half PPR, I think where you can get him right now on ESPN right now, he lasts till round five. You know, if you're playing in sharp drafts or you're drafting on underdog, he goes in round three. If you're playing in the FFPC and mid high stakes, he goes at the beginning of round three. So there's a different price tag on him everywhere. If you're playing in a home league, it's really easy to get your arms around ETN. And I love him. If you're playing in one of these other leagues, yeah, there's an opportunity cost. So you've got to decide, like, do you want ETN versus some of the other players that you're looking yeah, at? Jalen Waddle or DJ Moore yeah. or somebody like that. But I love Luka how you all go after ETN in the big money leagues. They all go around after him, sometimes two rounds. Yeah. And that's interesting because, like, I, you know, looking at underdog today, you know, ETN's at 36, you know, Waddle's at 37. Um, you know, you look at guys like Moore at 32. James Connor, okay, 35. But I mean, you know, at that point, you know, for me, when I look at those four players, I'd say I, I'd probably, I'd probably consider Waddle um, and more maybe ahead of Etienne, depending. Um, Connor, I, you know, knowing now that, knowing now what, um, that, you know, Benjamin might, Benjamin might get a little bit more um, opportunity here, then I would be probably a little less likely to take. Connor over at the end at that at that stage but at the same time I look further down and like if I'm if I'm a little more bearish I would prefer to have Etienne more in that round five round six range more round round five and that's kind of where I have him right now is at round five um you know in, in and, and just the other challenge drafts. we have is uh, a lot of the other backs that are below him like no one wants yeah. Because they're playing in multiple multi-way committees, you know, things like that. And so that's the other factor. The other factor for me, I'm going to take ETN over all most of the players we name, but it's just back to simple math. Like if we look at the top three finishers since 2010, like across wide receiver, running back and tight end, almost 70% of the time it's a running back. And so if you're truly shooting for the ceiling outcome, and that's my thought on ETN, basically you're drafting him already at, at his floor because he's going to get the passing down work. He's going to be out there plenty because the Jaguars are going to trail. But the, the secret upside could come through either A, his explosive playmaking, 
B, we have James Robinson not really ready to resume the role that he had because my ranking of him right now assumes James Robinson's going to get a lot of the early down work and really that he's playing more in just that swift role. But if for some reason James Robinson is slow to recover, if he, you know, suffers a setback from the Achilles or if ETN just plays really well, right? And James Robinson isn't playing as well. Even though the coaching staff, um, you know, is new, the front office is still tied to ETN, right? You know, yeah. this is Trent Balky. He spent the first round pick. So if I'm just betting on the high, high ceiling outcomes that you could potentially get, like running back has typically shown us that's where it can come from. And it's actually this exact profile. It's players that we know have explosive playmaking ability that can be very involved in the passing game. There you go. So with that in mind, now what I would love if we had a lot time for a longer conversation. I know, I'm already taking to, too long. To, no, <laughs> no, you're not. Not at we all. We may have it's, to come back and do another one. Is I just think about the idea of Etienne versus, you know, I could see how Etienne would fit into the same profile as Christian McCaffrey, but they're on different planets in terms of, to me, in terms of what they can do. But I can see how they fit in that profile and why it may not even make a difference. Um, but um, that would be for that may be for another time. Let's go to another guy who probably fits in this profile that I know we both like, and that's James Cook. Um, it, but how does he differ? Where 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 does he differ for you compared to Etienne in terms of shopping for him as a fantasy drafter? Well, I think uh, you know. Well, number one, you get a way cheaper price. <laughs> so when you talk about James Cook, you know, this is a guy that he's been moving up lately, but you can get him in rounds eight, nine, ten. In a home league, you're going to get him in round 10 or 11. You know, so if you play over, and you always got to check the ADPs on the site that you're going to be drafting on. Because remember, even though people may have their own list, they may be using my stuff, your stuff, whoever's, like the Q still influences people. When they see certain names at the top and they see other names below, they're like, oh, I can wait some more. And you should honestly think that too. You're trying to walk that fine line. Um, but when you look over in some of these leagues, like James Cook goes really late. And so for me, with Cook, um, you know, I know a lot of people get down on him, Matt, because they're like, well, you know, he just never took over a backfield. And my thought is, well, okay, timeout. Like, where did he play? He played at Georgia. Look, let's let, think of the names, right, <laughs> that play, you know, at Georgia. And think how many really good backs we've seen have to split time. Now, we've seen some of these guys have a year here or there. Like, we've seen Todd Gurley have a year where he dominated a lot of it. We've seen Nick Chubb have a year. But we've also seen those guys, you know, share. So this is a, this is a, this is a program that recruits high-caliber backs, right? We also had another back go in the top four rounds of the draft named Zamir White that played on the same team. So once you take that into context, the main thing I'm looking at with Cook, you know, Matt, is – he actually is someone that profiles, honestly, as a better receiver than Travis Etienne because he works down the field. He can create mismatches against linebackers, safeties, things we're hoping Etienne will add to his game. But James Cook is a little more on the spectrum, right? He can be more like a receiver. Etienne is more like a weapon that you want to get into space and get him the ball. But can he truly, if, you get, if, you, if you're needing to count on him, is he really going to break down a linebacker and get open and create a mismatch? And I think that's where James Cook is different. I don't know that he can get the volume of rushing attempts that ETN can, but I also don't just dismiss him as not being able to do anything. I hear a lot of people are like, oh, well, he'll never even get like 20% of the carries because he's not 200 pounds. And I'm like, I mean, Devin Singletary is like four pounds more than this guy. You guys realize this, right? Also, I remember a guy named Jamal Charles. He barely weighed 200 pounds, soaking wet, and it didn't matter. Like, he was really good. Chris Johnson, another example that you have these guys with speed, they don't always have to be the heaviest guys, right? If you can beat angles, if you can do different things, I think that's all a plus for him. But I think the biggest thing for me, Matt, is look, it's, it's, if you look at the Bills, they pass the ball in every game script, leading, trailing, tight, don't care. They throw the ball a lot. We think they will run the ball a little bit more this year. Um, you know, and I think it makes sense when you look at their roster construction. But at the end of the day, they're still going to end up being a pass heavy team. And then when I see they went hard after Chase Edmonds, we found that out last week because Edmonds spilled the beans on that in an interview where he said, well, actually, I was talking to, you know, the Bills first. They thought they had J.D. McKissick sign, didn't work out, and then they spent a second round pick. So to me, they've got a very clear idea of what they want to do with this player. I think the low end range here is you, you're just talking a J.D. McKissick or a Naheem Hines. That's if you miss. I think the upside here is that the Bills have this very specific plan. And if they stay in a pass-heavy mode and he is the passing down back, even though he doesn't get as many of the carries, that could mean he's on the field a ton. He could be on the field more than Devin Singletary. And we also, another offense where we don't know for sure who the number two is. Dawson, Dawson Knox, nice player, but does not demand targets, you know, at a level that we expect from really good tight ends. Also not that great from a yards per route, you know, run standpoint. If you look at Gabriel Davis, 
we all like him, but there's a lot of questions still around Gabriel Davis and what he's going to be. So when I look at this offense, I feel like Stefan Diggs and then who? We don't know for sure, and it's going to be pass heavy. And so I just think it's a great opportunity, you know, with where you're getting James Cook in your in your drafts. We know this is a pass heavy team. Like, what if they just really want to test the boundaries of what pass heavy looks like? Well, like, col- it, it may, it, may yeah. it could be a, like a whole new range we've never even thought of. Well, the obvious answer, as I wink to you, is Khalil Shakur. But um, but really the but the real but the real answer probably is going to be James. I think James Cook. And Dawson Knox will basically be the interchangeable um, between two and four with Gabe Davis and Gabe Davis um, um, GMs of, who draft him are going to be a little disappointed with the up and down um, nature of his his performances this year. Um, because when you look at this, to me, you look at James Cook and, and what you mentioned was all the, you know, J.D. McKissick and Chase Edmonds, and you go, well, if he's J.D. McKissick or Chase Edmonds in terms of what I've seen from a fantasy perspective, well, how should I get excited about James Cook? But the but really, you need to think about it from a football perspective. If you're the Buffalo Bills and you're one game away from a Super Bowl and a game that you believe you should have won and that you had won, um, to you know for you to really be a Super Bowl team and you're in that window right now, do you want to spend an early round pick on a running back or would you rather get a veteran who already understands what it's like to play in the league, how to read defensive coverages and has been proven in the passing game on the level that they are? Even if James Cook is a more talented player, he may need a year to adjust or the idea being more or less that if we believe that James Cook can adjust right away, why we really would prefer not to have to spend a second round pick when we could get another quality player um, that, and get a, a, an established free agent running back. So I think that's what the process was for getting Cook. Now, when I think of Cook, I think of a guy that I used to watch back in college for the Cleveland Browns who whose daddy used to play at the, at the University of Texas, and that was Eric Metcalf. And Eric Metcalf, in his first year, he had 187 rushes for 633 yards and six touchdowns and 397 yards receiving. So we're basically looking at, um, you know, over 1,000 yards, total 1,030 yards and 10 touchdowns in his rookie year for the Cleveland Browns. Now, I don't think that's what Cook's numbers are going to be, but I think that you can kind of rearrange them a little bit and you can see maybe he gets... Maybe a dozen or, you know, a couple dozen fewer rushes, a couple dozen more targets um, and maybe more and receptions possibly. And you get more of a 50-50 split, but a shot at somewhere between 850 to 1050 in terms of total yardage um, out of him. And I agree with you about, you know, what how he may fit into this offense and the unknown with Buffalo and the relative value that you get. So with that in mind, um, moving ahead. Let's talk about court, um, about Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy because it seemed like this spring everyone was talking about Jerry Judy as if they still believed that he was Antonio Brown's like the next iteration of Antonio Brown. I've always kind of claimed he was more Reggie Wayne in terms of his in terms of his talent profile, like that was his aspiring player. And Cortland Sutton to me, while I didn't love him coming out because of some of the technical issues that he had, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, I know I'm probably underrating him, but if he if he's able to do the things he's supposed to do and and fixes some of the issues, he can be a stud in the league. And I and he's had no quarterback worthwhile of supporting him, and he still had one stud year regardless of that. Now he's got one of the top quarterbacks. We've talked about Russell Wilson for years and how good he is. Um, you know, where are you with Sutton Judy? Is it clear cut Sutton for you or are you kind of more hold the phone? I think it could be, it could be closer than you think. Yeah. So I think, you know, ADP is part of it. Like Sutton has, has leapt Judy now, you know, yeah. so it started off to your point. Judy was the guy everybody wanted. And then Cortland Sutton, you know, uh, jumped over him and ADP. And I think the biggest part of that was, we started to feel really confident based on everything we were hearing that Cortland Sutton was probably going to be on the field all the time. Right. And Tim Patrick was potentially going to be the other outside receiver. And Jerry, that would leave Jerry Judy in a situation where when they weren't running three wide receivers. So if the, and this is an offense that's going to be multiple, he probably wasn't going to be on the field. And then you had to factor in, well, what if KJ Hamler also gets some of those slot, you know, routes because maybe they won't want to run, you know, four wide that often. It just became a doubt around, okay, could this potentially hurt Judy, you know, from a playing time? 
Um, but like, if you're just looking at their, their profiles, um, I think Judy's profile is actually a little bit stronger, you know, at this point, you know, Cortland Sutton's has been fine, but you know, when you look at Jerry Judy and you look at, you know, the list that he's on, despite having to play with the bad quarterbacks that he's played with. So he's had back to back 21% targets per route run seasons. Um, he's only going to be 23 years old. So Here's the list of all the players that have done this since 2010 um, to be between that 20 and 22%. Um, Ruben Randall, Justin Blackman, Julio Jones, Jordan Matthews, Amari Cooper, Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, Devin Funches, Michael Thomas, Curtis Samuel, Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown, Cortland Sutton. So not all of those are hits, right? But a lot of them are. It's a pretty yeah. good list um, to be on. But there are obviously there's there's a couple in there like Ruben Randall never turned into much. Jordan Matthews flashed early, didn't end up being anything. Devin Funches as well. And again, like these are just the numbers. Devin Funches is a very different player, right? When we watch Jerry Judy, like you wouldn't even really profile them right next to each other. Apples so, and kumquats. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, all we care is can they demand targets? However they do it, can they do it? Like that. That's one of the main requirements for me at receiver you know is can you demand the targets you know from your quarterback using the targets per route run you know helps us because sometimes these players aren't on the field all the time right they get knocked off for periods with injuries stuff like that so it helps give us kind of a normalized number to use so i i like judy i like the idea now that he's going to be on the field all the time he's going to play uh flanker most likely he may kick into the slot sometimes when they go three wide um, but you'll also have room for kj hamler to work out of the slot so and Judy just has the better ADP. Like, you can get him in round five right now. At this point, um, Cortland Sutton has moved up to round four on most sharp sites. Now, I will say, if you're playing on ESPN, you're playing on Yahoo, again, check it. Because Cortland Sutton in some of those leagues is still going in round six. And Jerry Judy's the one that's actually going before. So, um, for me, with the two, I want some exposure to, to both you know, Matt, because they're playing with Russell Wilson um, and I'm excited about this offense. Also playing in the AFC, NFC, playing in the AFC West, which also plays the NFC West, 56% of the games right now projected to go over 50 points this season over at uh, Superbook. 56% of those games belong to the AFC and NFC West. I haven't been tracking this long enough to know, but I'm guessing that might be a record that just yeah. two divisions own 56% of those shootout games that are on the schedule right now. Um, and it's probably not going to change that much because most of it ties yeah. back to quarterback play. And that's what this is about. If you're playing in the AFC West or NFC West, for the most part, we're dealing with good quarterbacks. They're going to have to match up all season long. So I want exposure to both of them. But I love, you know, you know, your thoughts, like on which one you prefer. Now, now that it's equal, I know they're going to both be on the field. Judy, I'm leaning into a little bit more because I like the ADP. And I understand now that makes sense to me. I just still think Cortland Sutton's underrated. And I think Sutton can be a top 15 wide receiver um, in, in um, fantasy this year. I definitely, I think that he fits a profile for, um, I think he is, this is an be, unpopular opinion. Clear, I, I, I do have Sutton ranked ahead of Judy. So it's just if I'm taking ADP in, but yeah, yeah but this is the point I'm going to make is that I'm, I'm with you and I like Judy too. I mean, again, if you compare somebody as an aspirational um, Reggie Wayne, that's a compliment. You know, I just don't think he's a, I just don't see him as the contested catch Antonio Brown win um, all over the field as the true number one. I see him as more, he can be a number one with a great quarterback and he's got one. But considering that he's got Sutton next to him, I think Cortland Sutton is a better, better technician and better overall route runner than DK Metcalf. I think DK Metcalf is a better contested catch player than Cortland Sutton um, by a little bit and a better overall athlete. But I think Sutton does more with his athletic ability and had done it with lesser talent around him. And I think that we're going to see him pop off with Russell Wilson this year in a big way. Um, so for me, I'm fine with taking both, but I still think that where Sutton is, he's still underrated. So like, I think you're getting a bargain with him at his ADP. Um, one guy I'd like to talk about and just as a, as not so much of a footnote, but Albert Okwabunum, I mean, your site loved him. I loved him. This is the, you know, generally, you know, there more often when I'm talking about, you know, PFF, there's, it's usually a, a compare and contrast of how we see certain things in, in some regards, 
But I'm kind of with I was kind of with them in the spring about that. Now this was pre-draft before they got Dulcich, but I've been joking that Greg Dulcich, from a talent perspective, could be good one day. But he's kind of like candy to fantasy people because of his speed right now. Whereas Albert O's kind of more the greens that are healthier for you. Where are you with Albert O's potential in this offense? I love Albert O. Um, and it's really simple, so it goes back to the talent profile. <laughs> you know, and here's the, my thought on Albert O. No matter what, we're still going to see Albert O get to participate in a record number of routes this year because we have Noah Fant gone, right? Yeah. So even if that number's 70% and it's not 80% like we thought it might be before the dulcet, dulcet signing, playing with a good enough quarterback, 80% is the, the number we want to get to for tight ends. Dulcet might route, give you that, too, by the way. Yeah, so, I mean, Dulcich, yeah, might keep Okwabunum from getting, right, to that right. 80%, right? He might keep him more in that 60 to 70% range. But at the end of the day, like I'm betting on the talent here, especially where you can get Alberto. He's going off the board often as like the tight end 15, 16. At one point this offseason, he got up to tight end 10. But if you look at his targets per route run, 24%. So let me name the other tight ends that got to that number last year. George Kittle, Darren Waller. Mark Andrews, I'm finished with the list. 1.94 <laughs> yards per route run. Yep. Let me give you the guys that beat that last year. We've got Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews. I'm now done with the list. Now, Kyle, Travis Kelsey would have probably bested these uh, that number, but he was playing hurt a little bit down the stretch last year. But it's just that in the underlying data points, now again, this is a small sample. Like he barely met the threshold I want, which is for the 200 routes, like looking at it over the last you know two seasons. But all I can go off of is what we have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a very strong yak player, 7.4 yards after the catch last year. He can create explosive plays. Um, you know, he's not necessarily like the best like seam stretcher. He can do it. But put him in an offense right now um, where we know we have Russell Wilson. And with, with tight ends, uh, you know, we, what we typically see is usually just getting the volume, a path to all the volume is not enough. You have to be a difference maker um, to really end up being in the top you know, used to be top three tight ends. This year, we've got a group of five, you could argue, right? Yeah. you got Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Waller, and Kittle, all super elite playmakers. Dallas Goddard fits in the group, right? He's just got heavy tar target competition on a team that might run. But these guys are all better than Dalton Schultz. They're all better than Zach Ertz at this point, you know, of his career. So they just carry this big upside. And Albert O is the only guy that you can get. Um, you know, outside of like round 12 of your fantasy draft that actually has that talent profile. And so it's just a simple bet on that along with Russell Wilson. Yeah, because he's, you know, the seam stretching is going to work out just fine when you have a quarterback who's great up the seam off play action. And you're going to have a compelling play action game with Wilson. On top of that, we know that the top end speed for Alberto is very strong. Um, he is a much better route runner than than Fant ever was in terms of the underneath routes, being able to break open underneath linebackers and safeties and be able to make those breaks back to the quarterback. And he's a good runner after the catch. He's actually, and he's he's their top blocker at the position. Um, so he was a better all-around player is why they got rid of Fant in the first place. So yeah, that, I, I'm with you there. I love the profile that you brought up there with him. Let's go to another second-year player, and that's Kadarius Toney. I think this guy also is about to take over that offense in the passing game. Now, of course, that offense is Daniel Jones. Is it going to be boosted a little bit because we got Brian Dable in town? Um, or is this going to take a little bit more before Kadarius Tony can really have liftoff? Yeah, I love Tony. Um, honestly, it's funny. Like, Tony and Alberto are like, you know, Alberto is the Tony of tight ends, and Tony is the, you know, Alberto of yeah. wide receivers. Um, guys that, again, another small sample. Him. Yeah. 201 routes so yeah it's, it's really small but the thing with tony that's so easy is like not only does all the data add up like when you flick on the film it doesn't matter if you're you know film bro analytics bro does, doesn't matter you're you're gonna like what you see yep. <laughs> there is tony if you just go look <laughs> and you know you've given uh the example in the past like you talked used to talk about like the uh what was the game you talk about the electric football game where like you yeah. just get these some players that the vibrat the, the vibrat like they're vibrating yeah that's tony when you watch him like he's just at a different level than pretty much everyone on the field whether it's with his route running whether it's with what he does after the catch but wow he checks some really huge boxes um last year as a rookie yards per route run 2.09 that is a wide receiver one level historically looking back to 2010 most wide receivers that do that 
have a really good shot at being a wide receiver one in the future. He also has a targets per route run of 26%, which is freaking astronomical. <laughs> Even the best receivers in the league are usually around 24%. Now we have guys that get at 28 and 30%, but and they are the true who's who list. The other thing I love about Tony is we look at Brian DeBowl, we look at what he's going to do. Look, we don't have Josh Allen. It's not going to be a direct transfer to everything that's going to happen with Daniel Jones. But if I had to pick a player that I think is going to work best, like in that intermediate you know, and underneath Stephon game, Diggs doing the Stefan Diggs stuff. It's yeah. Tony. Um, I think you're going to have Wandell Robinson doing a lot of the Isaiah McKenzie type stuff. Not really a good comp for Cole Beasley, which was more <laughs> of a quick route runner, but yeah. can do the underneath the drags, all that kind of stuff, get him into space, put him in the backfield. But I think Tony is going to have a real opportunity here because I think they're going to put Kenny Galladay out there and ask him to stretch the field more like a Gabriel Davis, which I, Everything adds up for me with Tony. I mean, the biggest question is going to be Daniel Jones. That you know, But Daniel Jones has been good enough in the past to support. We're not going to like him as an NFL quarterback, probably. Probably not ever. Maybe he can change our minds. But as, as far as fantasy goes, he has shown to be enough to help support um, you know, players, especially ones that operate closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, we've seen it. We've seen him get into a groove with a guy like Sterling Shepard in the past for periods when Shepard's been able to stay healthy. So, yeah, I love everything um, there is about Kadarius Tony this year. And you can get him in sharper drafts. You're going to have to spend around seven, round eight pick on him, depending on how you're building your team. I'm happy to do that. Um, but in your home leagues, this is a guy, another guy that's going to go money. around ten or eleven, yeah. ten or eleven. Like if you're listening to this show and you're going to hear some of these names. You're going to be able to stack up a ton of these guys on your teams, and um, like I feel, I feel bad for your league mates, to be honest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Love Kadarius Tony. I laugh because I, uh, I, I knew you'd like him because I, 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 um, and it made me feel good when I said, "Who do you want to talk about?" And you listed Tony as one of those players because I just laughed because I, I'm looking at my rankings on football guys, and I feel like I'm like standing on a cliff above everyone else on my on our staff when it comes to Tony because I'm a huge Tony fan. Um and and the big thing with him is watch that Dallas game. If you want to go back oh. and you'll say, oh well Dallas, their secondary was pitiful, whatever. Um you you look at what he did on film and the things he did on film <laughs> translate nice. to anybody he was facing. Um he, he did it against New Orleans too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, the Cowboys were pissed at the end of that game. If you guys go watch it, they were trying to take cheap, cheap shots on Tony right at the sideline. They were frustrated. Yeah. They wanted to destroy him and they couldn't, they could never get a big shot on him. <laughs> I mean, it was just like he was, he had Trayvon Diggs on absolute ice skates the whole game. I mean, the whole yeah. game. So let's do some quick hitters here. Give me one compelling thing about Allen Robinson that makes him either overrated or underrated or, or good at his ADP. I like Allen Robinson at his ADP. The easiest thing is to say he gets to play with Matt Stafford. But a lot of think people think that, you know, Allen Robinson is cooked. I think the easiest way, you know, we're over at PFF doing some really cool stuff now where we're actually tracking uh, receivers and their ability to separate on all routes, right? Not just ones where they're targeted. And Allen Robinson still played really well, you know, in that range. I think the other thing is just looking at the way they'll move him around the offense, the different things he can do. You think back to history. And look, he's not that old. Matt. I mean, yeah. he's 29. You know, yeah. people act like, you know, Allen Robinson is 33. Um, folks, go go back and look like 10 years ago at some of the ages. And I know that was a period ago. But these receivers that we would see still doing it at age 32 and 33, like having huge fantasy seasons. And so he's nowhere near that. So that would be my quick, quick pitch on a Rob. Yeah. Uh, and I just two years ago, I did some film study on, on Robinson for the RSP site and showed what an example he was for separating at the line of scrimmage and how good of a route runner he was. He just didn't have the, he just didn't have the goods in the kitchen around him to actually, uh, do anything worthwhile now that's going to change as long as matthew stafford's elbow holds up so moving along here i want to know about sky Moore, juju smith schuster are we you know is guy as do you think that there's a shot that they're kind of competing for the same role or do you think it's a different role and if it's a different role do you think both can coexist at a level to be beneficial to fantasy gms I think the answer is is yes. Um, I think they're going to play separate roles. I, I think, honestly, I, I will be floored 
if Miko Hardman finds any way to stay on this field <laughs> right. with Sky Moore. I, that's yeah. that's the bigger question, right? I think Juju's going to be out there. Juju's definitely got a declining talent profile um, since his breakout year. It's been really bad. And a lot of people blame Ben, but then, okay, if we're going to blame Ben, well, why didn't it bother Deontay Johnson? Why didn't it bother Chase, Chase Claypool to a less extent? You know, But Claypool even was better and a lot of the metrics we care about than Juju. So uh, the argument for Juju, I think he's, he's been playing hurt, right? But it's kind of weird to see a receiver as young as him and no one really comes after him in free agency. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of signs on Juju that worry me. His ADP is okay, but Sky Moore is the guy I'm the most excited about. A lot of people are down on Moore because they just look at him and say, hey, it's a guy that came from a small school. And, and I get it. Like, like level of competition does matter, but you can only line up and beat, you know, who's in front of you. And Sky Moore was really good at that. In fact, what I decided to do this offseason – um, because we've got all this awesome data over at PFF, as I went in and I looked, at the, if I looked at the NFL level, like what are the routes that the NFL uses the most? And I basically just took, it's kind of an arbitrary cut line, but I basically looked for where all of a sudden all the routes that the NFL uses, you just basically see a big drop off where there's no point in counting some of these routes. So not that we don't like them, they can't be part of a player's bag, but for example, a back shoulder fade, like it's 0.05% of all the passes the NFL throws, yeah. right? So it's cool. And now some quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, they'll use it more, especially with a guy that they know like Jordy Nelson, right? So not saying these things are never relevant, but I really wanted to focus on like when these players get to the NFL and they land in these offenses, these are the most likely routes that they're going to use. And so the routes that I chose were all are, are at 7% or over. And it makes up over 60% of the routes over the last three years in the NFL. And if you looked at that at the college level and you tra and you look at the careers of all the guys coming out this year, Sky Moore was the best yeah. <laughs> on those routes. Um, and again, level of competition is going to play into that, but he was well above all the other folks in the class. So when I hear the argument, well, it's a guy that's not ready, my thoughts immediately go to that data and think, well, I mean, Yes, it was lesser competition, but he did really, really well against it. And he didn't he didn't score just similar to other guys that faced stiff competition. He was actually well above them, which I think for me is enough when I look at it. And I just know that Miko Hardman is really just more of a gadget player. I think Sky Moore is the guy, Matt, that honestly, like if you want another person, like kind of back what we were talking about with Tony, that can really work the short, the intermediate. He can still get over the top occasionally, but kind of run, has the opportunity to run the whole route tree, can play inside or out. Sky Moore is my favorite player um, to put a chip on in the Chiefs offense, especially when you're talking where you get him. Another player that you get after round 10. Also with MVS, I think he's a field stretcher. But at this point, like MVS hasn't hasn't checked any of the breakout boxes that I look to see for a receiver. And 99% of the time, a receiver has shown us this by year four. And we haven't seen it from MVS. So I don't know that a contract is going to mean that all of a sudden MVS is this uh, you know, changed player and is going to demand all these targets, which to me means there's Travis Kelsey, there's Juju, and there's Sky Moore that I like the most, and Moore just has the best ADP. Obviously, we'll take yeah. Travis Kelsey, you know, anytime we can get him, but I just love the ADP on Sky Moore. Yeah, I would agree. And I would say the talent profile from film, what I've seen with Sky Moore, and knowing that Andy Reid took him and looking at build and looking at what he does. Reminds me a lot of Jeremy Macklin, and Jeremy Macklin had a good first mm. rookie year as well. So I think that would be something worthwhile. So if the t if there's two rookies, I like that the two rookies that I'd be looking at in Kansas City. Obviously, it's Sky Moore and, and Isaiah Pacheco, and I've talked a lot about Pacheco. So um, you know, let's end this with a hometown guy because <laughs> I just think you know I asked you about him, and you're like, yeah, he's a good power back, you know. But you know, and we all do like Tony Pollard. I mean, I think Tony Pollard is a good player, but, um, you know, do you, are you in the camp of some of the, some of the guys I I've heard say Zeke shouldn't even be starting, um, and that, and Tony Pollard should get that shot. Or are you more in the idea? Are you, are you fall somewhere in between that camp and my camp where I think the Ezekiel Elliott stuff slander, um, or are you more closer to me and think that there's some there's some slander here against Zeke in terms of what he can do as a fantasy option and not a top five option. No one's drafting him in the top five anymore. But like as a you know top fifteen, top twenty, um, back you know as a back in your top fifteen, top twenty who can play within the top ten of fantasy. Does he have that top ten fantasy potential to you? 
Yeah, so I, I lie somewhere between. Um, I agree Tony Pollard needs more work. I think the easy way Dallas could use could do it is just give Tony Pollard the two-minute offense. Like, stop clowning around talking about slot play and all that. Like, Tony Pollard's not Naheem Hines. He's not J.D. McKissick. Like, he he's honestly more, uh, I would say, along the level of ETN, um, a guy you put into space. I he he's a little better than ETN right in the route running, but I don't put him a, I don't put him as a guy that you're going to just stick in the slot right and be right. like oh you're just going to go beat cornerbacks. No, he's not. But just give him the two minute offense. Goodness gracious, like you know we and we know Dallas runs enough plays, and I think it's problem solved. Like then you get enough touches for Pollard. You still let Zeke you know be your early down back. You know he can still play some of the the long down and distance stuff. You don't have to completely disengage Zeke from the passing game. Keeps both guys fresh. I mean that's what I would like to see. My big challenge with well number one was Zeke. Um, like you kind of already hit it on the head. The biggest part is like all these issues and challenges. They're really all baked into his average draft position. Um, if you're especially for playing in sharper leagues, he goes in round five. Sometimes falls to round five. Uh, round four to five. If you're playing in a home league, he's still going in round three, right? So not not as excited about him there because the opportunity cost versus some of the younger ascending talents, especially if you're playing in a PPR league with some of the receivers that are available in that range. Um, some of the elite tight ends that are available in that range makes it uh, a situation where I like some guys later that I think I can basically pull off getting the same production I would get with Zeke there. Um, I'm maybe going to get a little bit less, but I can get them five or six later, you know, you know rounds later in my draft. So a lot of it comes down to that. But yeah, I think Zeke, look at him last year before the PCL injury, like he was really playing well. My big challenge for him is like, he just has not been an explosive player for the last several years now. Um, you know, his his rushing, uh, his missed tackles force, you know, per attempt, grade below the NFL average, you know, the last several years. His yards after contact have actually gone down as well. Um, so it's just a situation where with Zeke, like, I think you have less outs than what you used to have with him. Used to, he was able to break a few longer plays. Um, he was for sure going to be involved in the passing game. Now I think what you need to really hit on Zeke and to make him worth it in your fantasy draft, and I think it's totally possible because he plays on an offense that could still be really good, you just need him to hit his touchdowns. You need him to keep the work inside the five. You need Dallas to continue to be a good offense. You know, they did lose Amari Cooper. Um, you got Michael Gallup, who's not going to be ready week one, and then he's even going to have to recover and get better. So you're depending on some other players here like Jalen Tolbert, uh, Dalton Schultz. He's fine. He, he's not somebody that scares defenses, though. So, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to can the Dallas Cowboys offense continue to operate at the level that we've been used to seeing? And if they can, I think Zeke still has upside for 15 touchdowns. Anytime you have a back with upside for 15 touchdowns, like there's a way to get there. Um, I think there's just a few less outs for him now because yeah. I think Pollard's going to cap him in the receiving game and just going to cap his overall touches. And if for some reason the Cowboys offense goes the wrong way, I think that could be problematic for Zeke, especially if they do give Pollard that two-minute offense, which we've heard some rumblings of that, nothing confirmed for sure. But we know in some of the drills, they've really been emphasizing Pollard in that way. Yeah, and those are compelling points for Zeke for sure. And it does, and it does bake into his ADP. Um, to where it is because and but the upside certainly is still there but I agree with you that there are there are reasons why you know when you start to look at safety you're looking for the safest players or with the highest upside earliest on there he's got high upside but his safety isn't quite as strong as it once was well you know certainly when we talk about you know, having strong guests on the show, Dwayne is certainly at the top of this list. Um, you can find Dwayne at Dwayne McFarlane, or excuse me, at Context Matters. No, um, it's at Dwayne McFarlane. Dwayne McFarlane. It's just Context <laughs> Matters. Yeah, I think about that at the time, but it's at Dwayne McFarlane. I, I forget. He's just on my main, he's on my main feed, so I just see him. I don't have to look him up. So, um, and you should have him on your main feeds too. Um, you can find me at Matt Waldman. And uh, thanks so much again for... Uh, you know, listening to this podcast and for getting your RSP products and uh, look forward to having you guys listen to a new show on next week and getting a chance to download this one and maybe listen to it a couple of times. See ya.